Isaiah 52, verses 1 to 12. Awake, awake, O Zion. Clothe yourself with strength. Put on your garments of splendor. O Jerusalem, the holy city, the uncircumcised and defiled will not enter you again. Shake off your dust. Rise up. Sit enthroned, O Jerusalem. Free yourself from the chains on your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For this is what the Lord says. You were sold for nothing, and without money you will be redeemed. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says. At first, my people went down to Egypt to live. Lately, Assyria has oppressed them. And now what do I have here, declares the Lord. For my people have been taken away for nothing, and those who rule them mock, declares the Lord. And all day long my name is constantly blasphemed, Therefore, my people will know my name. Therefore, in that day, they will know that it is I who foretold it. Yes, it is I. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings and proclaim salvation who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight. For the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, friends. We are in a series in Isaiah, you remember. And in fact, we are in a mini-series, a series within a series uh, for Advent. Uh, we are preparing to celebrate the coming of the Lord Jesus as the dawn of lasting peace by looking at these passages in Isaiah that were written some 700 years before the coming of the Lord Jesus, but were written to prepare God's people for the coming of the Lord Jesus as the dawn of lasting peace. Isaiah 52, you will have noticed, is not a servant song, but it is a passage in which the Lord Jesus, uh, the man and his work, is portrayed, and in which we see 
uh, really starkly, I think, clearly, uh, some of the consequences for us, for those of us who by faith follow this Lord Jesus, the bringer of lasting peace. And we're going to pray and then look at these wonderful verses together. So let's pray as we come to Lord's, uh, the Lord's uh, word together. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Heavenly Father, we pray that your word to us this morning would indeed be good news to us, that it would bring peace to us, that it would be glad tidings for us, that it would speak again about our salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Friends, I have two headings which will help us, I hope, orientate ourselves to this text. And the first heading is this, my first point. Wake up. We have a new status for God's sake. And that is verses 1 through 6. I don't know if you remember the film Tarzan or any of its umpteen remakes there have been many uh, remakes, but they all have basically the same plot. Uh, the version that I remember, there's an infant son of a British lord, and uh, he, of course, is lost in the jungle at a very early age and is raised by apes. Uh, apes able, evidently, to supply him with uh, razors, scissors, and toothpaste, because by the time the search party finds him, many years later, he never looks at the worse for wear. Tarzan, of course, is brought back to his family home, his, uh, his mansion, and there's that scene where he wakes up on that first morning, and of course he wakes up in a beautiful bedroom and not the uh, uh, tree house or whatever it was he was living in the jungle, and he wakes up to beautiful clothes and suits rather than the rags he was wearing when he was in the jungle. And then there was that scene, that first dinner held in celebration for the return of the sun, and as soup is served... Tarzan, fresh from the jungle, picks up the bowl, downs the soup in one, and belches. And what follows, of course, is that sort of classic Ealing comedy where um, uh, your great aunts faint and monocles fall from the eyes of colonels. And one kindly old lady leans over the table and says, Oh dear, I'm afraid we don't do that here. In other words, she's saying, Tarzan, look, you're no longer the son of the jungle. You have been rescued. You've been brought back to your home. You are now the son of a lord. You are now heir to the estate. That is your new identity. And now you need to wake up to that new reality and discover and live the life you were originally created for. What do you see? that that is precisely what Isaiah is saying in the first three verses of Isaiah 52. Have a look. Israel is being told to wake up, to wake up to a new reality. She has been redeemed. She has been rescued, verse 3. And she's been given a new status, a new identity. Or perhaps better, like Tarzan, she's been given an old identity, that she once had, lost, but has now been given again. Do you notice? She finds herself surrounded by clothes that she used to wear and may now wear again. That's verse 1. Verse 1 is the language of priestly robes. 
Now you remember, priests in the Old Testament had the job of serving God and teaching people about God. And there was a particular group of Israelites who were set aside to serve God in a particular way, in a particular place, that is to say, the temple, and they were called the priests. But do you remember, when God called Israel out of Egypt and he met her at Mount Sinai, he said to her in Exodus 19 that actually all of them, the whole nation, were to be a kingdom of priests to the world. They were all given the job of being God's ambassadors to a watching world, to live in such a way that reflected God's good rule to a watching world. They were supposed to be ambassadors, attractive. And as the world looked on and saw the wonder of living under God and the blessings that flowed from living under God, the world was supposed to look on and say, come, teach us about your God. And Israel was supposed to teach the nations about her God. And so God's kingdom was going to grow around the world. That was her calling. But we've seen, haven't we, from these chapters of Isaiah, she fails time after time after time. Instead of living like God before the nations, she started to live like the nations before God. She was a poor ambassador, a poor advert. And since she lived indistinguishably from the nations, God scattered her amongst the nations. Verse 2 is the language of royalty. Israel was called to be children of the Most High, children of the Heavenly King. But she failed time after time to live in the light of her royal status. No longer enthroned, she finds herself now enslaved by the Babylonians. <clears throat> but do you see verse 1? God says, wake up, wake up to a new reality. I have laid out your priestly garments again. Put them on. I have set up your throne. Take off your chains. Take up your place. And note, this is not the language of let's pretend. This is not, this is not a game of dressing up. When my daughter Helena she has, you know, princess dresses and she has doctor's outfits. Now, when she puts her princess dresses on, she does not become a princess. I warn you now, when she puts her doctor's outfit on, she does not become a doctor, regardless of the plastic stethoscope she wears. But the language here is not that language. The language here is, these garments are now right for you to wear, because what I have done for you is made you ready for them, right for them. In other words, this is the language of be, become what you now are. Become what I have made you. While Israel has slept and slumbered, God has done something. We don't know what yet, but he has done something. He has acted to change her status, to change her identity. And now he is saying, wake up. Israel, embrace your new identity. Live your new identity. And it all flows from his rescue of her, verse 3. Now at the moment, of course, 
as Isaiah looks into the future, it is Babylon that holds her captive and that prevents her from fulfilling her priestly and her royal duties. But we've seen, haven't we, all along, that actually Israel is enslaved to something far more powerful than Babylon. She has been unable to serve God and to be a good ambassador for him before she ever went into exile. Indeed, her failure to serve him is the reason she's in exile. She has been, since her calling, enslaved to her sinful, rebellious nature. It is that that has held her captive. So the rescue promised in verse 3, if it is to make her truly fit for priestly robes and royal thrones, will be a rescue from her sin and a fundamental transformation of her character. For Israel, that is a future promise. But we live the other side of God's great actions to change the nature of his people. We live after the sin-forgiving, status-changing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. At 9.30, we had a baptism of a little Sebastian. And baptism, of course, is a great visual aid of what happens when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus. As we go down into the water, we lose our old identity. Our old self dies. And as we come up out of the water, so we, are, so, so we rise. It pictures us rising to new life, into a new identity. And the call of the baptism service is the call of Isaiah It is the call to all of us who follow the Lord Jesus to live in the light of our new status and our new identity. What is our new identity in Christ? Well, the Apostle Peter tells us in his first letter, chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he says this to the church, but now you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, verses 1 and 2 a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Do you see the point? We are, as Christians, what Israel was always supposed to be, but failed to be. We are royal. We are priestly. We are holy. We are gods. And the Christian life is the battle to wake up to that reality, to be what we really are, in the Lord Jesus Christ. The language of Isaiah is the language of putting on, and that is the language of growing into the people God has made us to be. And that will be a battle. That will be a battle. And it will be a battle because, you see, we still carry around in our bodies what we once were. Our old clothes still still cling to us, our old habits from the jungle, if you like, our old sins and our old prejudices, and they need to be removed, and we need to put on our new clothing, our new identity in Christ, and we'll only be motivated to remove the old and put on the new insofar as we recognize the old to be imposters not who we now are. See, there are always two voices speaking to the Christian. 
There's the voice of our old clothing, our old identity, our old life. And there's the voice of our new identity, our new clothing, our new life in Christ. And if we're going to battle sin, it is crucial to know who the real us is. See, is it, is it the voice? Is it the one who wants to look at perhaps the wrong stuff on late night TV? Or is it the us that wants to resist it? Is it the us who wants to punish someone by not forgiving them? Or is it the us who wants to forgive them as Christ forgave us? Is it the us that longs to be served? Or is it the us that is prepared to lay aside our rights and serve others as Christ laid aside his rights and served us? Isaiah, Isaiah says the real us is the second of each of those clauses. He says, wake up, put on the clothes that are yours, put on your new identity, be who you really are in Christ. The real you is not defined by those sinful desires, those old habits, those old character traits, which to some extent still speak to us. The real us is chosen. The real us in Christ is royal. The real us is priestly. The real us is holy. Friends, let's believe that. Let's put those things on. That is what Christ has made us. He has made us fit for those garments. Let's put them on. Let's believe it. And let's live it. And if we are committed to changing, then we will find a God who is committed to changing us. That is verses 5 and 6. Do you see, God is going to act for his own name's sake. It is God's name that is being blasphemed as Israel is scattered amongst the nations. God announced himself to Moses to be the God who rescues, the God who transforms, the God who makes people holy. The nations are looking on at Israel and saying, some God your God is. He hasn't rescued you. He hasn't transformed you. And God says, I will come. I will rescue. I will create a people for my own name's sake, for my reputation's sake. God's reputation is on the line. So as we struggle and we battle with sin and we struggle to put on our new identities, to be holy and priestly, then we struggle with all the energy and all the resources that God provides. He will perfect his people. He's put his name to it. Well, that is the first point. Verses 1 through 6. Wake up. We have a new status for God's sake. And the second point, verses 7 through 10, is listen in. We have a new Savior in God's Son. Have a look at verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Now, in the ancient world, of course, there was no email, there was no text messaging. Uh, messages were carried by hand, sometimes carried on foot by runner. 
And that's the imagery here in verse 7. We see a messenger with beautiful feet. Beautiful feet because he carries beautiful news. And the news is of peace, good tidings, salvation from the enemies of God, from all that opposes God's good purposes for his world. And his message can be summarized in three words. Israel's God reigns. And he is coming as king to establish his kingdom. He is coming in person to dwell with his people. He is coming as savior to rescue his people. Now that was great news. That was great news then for defeated and deflated Israel. But it is even better news now for our world at war. Because, of course, in the first instance, this is a promise that God would defeat Israel's physical enemy, the superpower Babylon, and restore her to her land. But, of course, we've noted, haven't we, time after time, that her real adversary, her real captor, was sin. It was not Babylon that needed to be conquered so much as her sinful nature. Only then could she experience lasting peace that flows from the presence of God. Only then could she do the job for which she was created, to be a priestly people, to be ambassadors, taking the good news that God reigns and that he saves from sin and that he establishes peace, to take that news to the nations. And it is of that of that great rescue, that rescue from sin by God coming in person, coming as king to dwell and to rescue, that these verses ultimately speak. And we know that, don't we? Because these verses are picked up and applied to the birth of the Lord Jesus by the writers of the New Testament. The Christmas narratives, as as it was read, did the Christmas narratives not leap off the page, from the angels, messengers heralding Jesus' birth, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests, to the angel saving Mary and Joseph the hassle of working out what to call their first son. You shall call him Jesus, because he will save his people from what? Their sins. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God come in person to dwell with us. And what was the message on Jesus' own lips as he went preaching? Was it not this? The time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The birth of Jesus is the dawn of peace because it is the promised coming of God to his people, to rescue his people from their sin, to establish God's kingdom of peace by making peace between God and man, and thereby making naturally self-centered, hostile humans brothers and sisters in Christ. That is how God establishes peace. And he changes us from adversaries, and he makes us ambassadors. And there's our challenge, isn't it? 
There's our challenge. How is God, how is this good news of God's peace that is available in the Lord Jesus Christ going to go to the nations? Do you remember the words of the Apostle Paul? How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You and I, we have beautiful feet. And we have beautiful feet because we have a beautiful message. And the good news of our message is summarized in three words. Our God reigns. Or as the New Testament puts it, Jesus is Lord. And that is great news to a warring world. The Lord Jesus is able to conquer all that opposes true peace in our world and in our lives. He is able to defeat our great internal adversary, sin. And he's able to defeat our great external adversary, Satan. And he has done so at the cross. And how he has done that, we will see in two weeks' time as we look at those extraordinary words of Isaiah 53, which foreshadow it. We live in a world that has staged a coup against God, and that is a coup that has led to a world at war with itself. Now, there are two ways you can restore peace in a coup. You can come, and you can kill all the rebels. That'll restore peace. Or you can come, and you can seek to change their hearts and their minds and their natures, to win them to your side, to change them from adversaries and make them ambassadors for your cause and so spread peace. Praise our God of grace that in this time he has chosen the latter course. He is committed to the latter cause. Even though it comes this work of reconciliation, it comes at great personal cost to him, as we shall see. But that was the good news. That was heralded by those angels some 2,000 years ago to shepherds on a hill in Bethlehem, that God has come to dwell in person, to seek and to save the lost. And that is the good news that we celebrate in a few weeks' time at Christmas, and it is also the, the good news that we, as God's priestly people, as his ambassadors, must seek to share in North Oxford and beyond in our day. And so God, give us the grace to put on our new identities, to live as royal, holy ambassadors of God, and go forth as messengers with beautiful feet, carrying the good news that peace can be found in the Lord Jesus Christ, who reigns. And we pray it in his great name. Amen.